0: Good day, my name is Tay, and thanks for joining us again at Creation Talk. Joining me today is Dr. Jonathan Safati from a remote location. Good day, so everyone. Dr. Safati? Yes, okay. So, Dr. Safati, we have a, something that we often hear a lot when we go out on ministry mm-hmm. is this thing that is called the canopy theory. And um, oh, yes. I remember when I first heard about this. Um, many years ago Mm -hmm. you know um, the canopy theory was kind of popular Mm -hmm. but it kind of fell out of favor and Mm. yet today we still hear people mentioning this oh yes so what's the canopy theory and why was it uh, invoked in the first place
1: well the canopy theory was proposed by dr henry morris in his book the genesis flood there may have been other things before that but he really developed it now the genesis flood is older than i am and i've got grandchildren so it gives you an idea (laughs) <laughs> um, but uh, it was a model to try to explain away several things. First of all, where did the, the flood waters come from? And also, it, they hoped to explain the, the huge lifespans of the pre-flood people as well as the huge sizes of some of the animals and plants in the fossil record. So is it, quite, it seemed to explain a lot of different things. Therefore, it's become very popular. Now, it's fallen out of favour with the mainstream creation organisation for some time but it's still mm. in the popular creation mindset. We'd like to actually get people to become updated with modern creation arguments and not to use outdated ones.
0: Yes, yeah, so the canopy theory basically is this idea that there's like a shell of water that is in, in the sky above the expanse of the earth. Right. And the idea is that um, this would actually shield the earth from UV rays, mm-hmm. would increase the atmospheric pressure and, and and fulfill some of this, those things that you just mentioned earlier on. So you, you mentioned that the, it's one of the source of the rain, right? So the Bible tells us that the fountains of the great deep burst open, and that the windows of the heavens were, were, were open as well. Mm-hmm. So what? They, they will assume that there was no rain before the flood. Is that right?
1: Oh, that's that often goes along with it. That we still get some of that. But see, when it talks about no rain in Genesis chapter 2, that's the, the time before the creation of Adam. It doesn't say yes. there was never any rain from these in the fifteen hundred plus years from Adam to the flood. It was talking about things that didn't have happened before Adam, like no cultivated plants were around because Adam, no, no man was there to cultivate them. But we know there were cultivated plants from Adam to the flood. We know that. So why do we say there's no rain at any time? And even the rainbow. See, the rainbow is gone putting a new meaning on an existing phenomenon. Just like bread and wine at Communion, Jesus put a new meaning on it, but bread and wine certainly pre-existed the Communion, the Lord's Supper, yes, right? right? So there's no reason to think that it did not rain before the flood. I think it's what? unsound. I think it's just making a rod for our own back, trying to say something. It goes beyond what the Scripture teaches. I think this goes back to an article of our mentor, certainly my mentor, I'm not sure how old you, uh, you might be. You might be old enough, but certainly my mentor, Dr. Carl Whelan, 30 years ago, he wrote an article called Hanging Loose. And a very Mm -hmm. important article is because it talks about the difference between what the Bible really teaches, whether directly or by a logical deduction, and the models that creationists might use to explicate the biblical teachings. Now, we are supposed to hold firm to what the Bible teaches logically or directly, but hold loose to the models. And he wrote that mm-hmm. at a time when the canopy theory was a very popular theory. He even mentioned that in the article, but he said he warned this is still a model.
0: That's right. That's right. I think it's so important because this is not just for creation. I think it, comes for, it applies to all scientific models. Mm-hmm. It does. I know the um, Gordon H. Clarke, uh, the philosopher, he once mm-hmm. used to say that there's actually very few scientific theories that can actually go for 20 years without slight modifications. Mm. And I think we see that in all areas of science. So I, I really love what you say, because you're saying that the Word of God has to be our foundation, and while we can build scientific models around that, we hold to those models loosely.
1: Exactly, And yes. I,
0: I think in this case, when it comes to canopy theory, um, it's just a scientific model, and we do not think that it's the best explanation for what we
1: see out there. It is that so what you would say as well? I'd say it, 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 I don't think it mainly. I think it's doubtful even biblically because the Psalms refer to the waters above still being up there, while the canopy theory says the waters above were in this vapor canopy and it came down mm. as a flood. But the Psalms say the water can the can the waters are still there, and therefore they couldn't be the canopy. So that's a biblical um, way of. Well, objection. Another one is that the fa- the flood began with the fountains of the great deep, then it talks about the 40 days and 40 nights. So we, yes. I think any good model of the flood has to start in the ocean.
0: That's right. O- what, oceans, the water from the oceans coming onto the
1: land. Right. See, so yeah. so what,
0: what is the waters above the expanse? What's that? Well,
1: I mean, all of the different things. I'm all right, even with the idea that they were clouds. Um, there yes. are people who say it was waters at the other side of the universe yes. or other side yes. of the yes. other station. But the thing is, I mean Keaton Halley has written our colleague Keaton Halley's written an article for our journal where he talks about things like, Well, okay, I see a bird in the window. Is it in the window pane or I'm just saying I'm seeing a bird through the window? You see pronouns yes. are quite flexible. Is the submarine in the sea or is it under the sea? I mean, the word yes, means under the sea, but it's also can be described in the, in the sea. You see, pronouns can be flexible. So do we see the, cow, the clouds in the expanse, or we're just seeing in the same direction, just like a bird in the window, same sort of direction. So I'm not going to rule out clouds, but I also respect those who say it was waters at the other side of the universe. That's a respectable position too.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the biggest reasons, I mean, we have listed a few reasons for why they wanted the canopy theory at the at the very beginning. But one of the biggest reasons that they will always bring up is this, is that if you look at the Bible that the patriarchs, the, the early, the first few people that's mentioned in the Bible, they live for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And then later on, after the flood, there was a drop in lifespan. Yes. And so they would say that there's a different environment and mm. this canopy theory provide that environment for them to live long periods of time. Mm. And uh, one reason is that they say that it will shield away the UV light But that doesn't work, right? So what's the reason for
1: that? I mean, some of you have had the unfortunate experience that I've had of getting sunburned on a very cloudy day and being sunburned while swimming. So therefore, water, even in the liquid state, let alone the gaseous state, um, is not that good at stopping UV. Mm -hmm. But you see, I'm also a... uh, my, My profession was in spectroscopy, including vibrational, which includes infrared, and we always have tried to exclude uh, water from any infrared spectroscopy measurement because it absorbs water so strongly, or uh, absorbs infrared so strongly. That's what any spectroscopist will tell you.
0: So that becomes hot, too hot. Well, yeah, so
1: water vapour is actually the most potent greenhouse, the most important greenhouse gas we have. Don't tell the EPA they'll try and tax our QT <laughs> kettles, but that is the most yeah. important. And therefore, if we have a canopy, I think the Larry Vardaman from ICR did the calculations and showed that even if we a canopy was only enough to provide a, a couple of metres of water depth, <laughs> we'd cook mm-hmm. underneath it because of the strong greenhouse gas. So it wouldn't do what its proponents hoped it would do.
0: Yes, so it doesn't shield the UV, but it makes it too hot. Too. Mm, right. But what what about this idea that with the canopy, you have a much stronger atmospheric pressure and that would help us to breathe better. It would help, they would say, dinosaurs, you know, to get to the size they need, they need uh, more
1: oxygen and
0: See, sometimes
1: high pressure is good because they talk about hyperbaric chambers. You'll see it in some places, hyperbaric chambers. Sometimes low pressure is good. I mean, there's mm-hmm. such a thing as negative pressure, wound therapy. Sometimes low pressure is better for you. Um, sometimes we take antioxidants because too much oxygen can also be a point. It could be dangerous for us. We have antioxidants that try to neutralise because oxygen is quite a reactive molecule. So we have um, these things to take care of the reactivity. Okay, so it's not mm-hmm. always the case that more oxygen, more pressure is good. It's it's very equivocal. And then when, when you say dinosaurs needed a high pressure, well, we don't really know what sort of amazing breathing systems they would have had. I think they had some quite amazing ones, but we haven't got the f- the record of it, unfortunately. But I think they must have had it. And does that apply
0: to insects as well? I mean, the, in the fossil record, I mean, the dragonflies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. you know, yeah, the
1: Meganeuroptera like thing like that, Meganeura, yeah. those things. Um, but see, again, for many years, I'm sure you, you may have been taught in biology that insects don't breathe, they diffuse through the holes in their sides, right? Uh, yeah, the they, used to, they used to
0: teach that, yes.
1: But that's actually outdated because now they've found that, mm-hmm. that insects really do breathe, they, they actively breathe. So, that argument is based on a false premise that insects don't breathe, they do breathe. So, out with that argument, yes. And I think one of the biggest, like I said, the biggest reason
0: that they, they bring up the canopy theory has to do with the age of the patriarchs. Okay. And I think what's interesting is that I don't think that's the best explanation because if it's true that the canopy is the cause of the long lifespan, then Noah should have
1: died early. Exactly um, right. All the data, you must explain Shem's age and you must explain Noah's age. And if Noah, as you say, lived a third of his life after the canopy had supposedly collapsed and still had the third longest supposed lifespan, why wasn't he affected by this terrible change of environment? So I think that's a huge data point that, that, that ruins the theory. That it was environmental. And also, was there a pre flood paradise? I mean, Noah's father said that Noah would, he named Noah because Noah would release us from our painful toil. God promised painful toil to Adam, and Lamech said Noah would release us from our painful toil. That's not a a paradise. And as we've documented in our book, dinosaurs had all these um, um, infections and fractures. and it, oh, yes. that, that wasn't a paradise. That, that is, it, was, it was quite a, 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 a harsh place to live. So where is this perfect environment? I don't see it in the fossil record. Yeah, so I think at
0: Creation ministers we, we think that genetics might actually be a better mm. reason for why there's a sudden drop in lifespan. Yes, indeed. And I think Dr. Robert Carton uh, talks about patriarchal drive. Mm-hmm. It's a big word. Yeah. So what? what's really patriarchal drive? What was
1: this idea? Oh, I think he's talking about very old people living a long time can keep on having children and therefore they contribute a lot to the genetic um, gene pool. But also there may be very few generations from, old, uh, from younger son to younger son. There's actually a... a grandchild of a 19th century president living today, we'll put it, put it in the show notes, so that's even modern times, so imagine you've got people living hundreds of years, the youngest child of the youngest child, you've got very few generations going on, but I was thinking there's another thing too, see Shem was born before the flood, okay, so he's born before the population bottleneck and all that sort of stuff, Yes. so you have to explain his sharp drop in lifespan. Even though there was no genetic bottleneck, so to speak. Yeah, and the reason, I think, is that Noah was an extremely old father. He was yes. the oldest father on record. No other. Parent. You look at the ages at the birth of their children, they're maybe 100 and something, okay, not very really old. Then Noah, 500. Yes. And since men keep on generating their reproductive cells. I mean, despite what some of the people are trying to tell you nowadays, boys and girls are different, okay? Mm-hmm. Girls, they're born with all their most of their eggs, at least. They, uh, when they're born, they have their eggs, they're in suspended animation until puberty, and then they release them, okay? But they're born with them. But men keep on generating sperm cells, okay? And so the older you are, the more mutations have had a chance to accumulate, and therefore you're passing more... Mutations. ...to your offspring... Which means that, see, our, our genetic copying machine is so accurate that those mistakes will be copied on. You see, so from Noah's three, we're all coming from Noah's three sons, and we've all got those mutations that Noah added by being a very old father. So, in other words, because Noah was five hundred years old, really
0: old, he would have a lot of mutations that he would pass on to his his next generation. Yeah. Shem, uh, Japheth, and so on. You know, when I'm listening to some of these other creationists who are still arguing for Mm Canopy, they will say that, oh, but if you look at geological evidence, look at amber. and amber, you have uh, bubbles in there. Mm -hmm. And they say that the bubbles contain a higher percentage of oxygen. Therefore, the pre-flood world had to have more oxygen in there. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think the bubbles aren't necessarily the initial composition of what was actually bubbled because there's also diffusion in the amber. But the other thing is, see, the bubbles have an extra surface, which means there's surface tension going on, and therefore the bubble actually itself adds pressure to the gas that it's containing. It's called the Laplace pressure, and it depends on how strong the surface tension is. So, mm. it, it's not the pressure of the atmosphere; it's the pressure of the atmosphere plus the Laplace pressure adding to the. Um, it's really the Laplace pressure that's called that, that's that's the, the issue there. The evidence is equivocal. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that the evidence is far from conclusive.
0: Yeah, and we also, from what we do know, um, there's really no need to invoke a canopy theory, Mm -hmm. because I think, like we have already said, that the genetics would maybe provide a much better explanation for the drop in lifespan and, and the things that we see before the flood.
1: Right, exactly. And since it was never a direct teaching of Scripture, we don't have to hold, there's no obligation for us to hold something that's not taught in Scripture check out the articles and the videos because we only just scratched the surface. The articles will provide far more information than we could possibly cover in in, in a few minutes that we did. I'll see you again next time.